Hey everyone, welcome to the Janus Connected Podcast, your source for exclusive interviews with the self-storage industry's movers and shakers. I'm your host, Rachel Dempsey, and this is the place where you'll find the latest news on technology advancements within self-storage, advice for new operators, and tips that even the most seasoned decision makers can find helpful. We hope you enjoy. We have a really exciting guest today. Josh Boyd has been a developer and operator for the past five years and recently became a partner and investor in OnGuard Storage LLC. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So let's dive right in. How has your background in other industries impacted your really unique approach to self-storage? Sure. Yeah. I, um, I was in medical device for about 15 years. I got into it right out of college and um, had the opportunity, the, um, the, the luck, if you will, of working for some really um, high-end companies in terms of technology in the operating room. Startup companies, I learned a lot about entrepreneurship um, and really how to take a technological innovation um, from the R&D floor into the marketplace. And one of the things that was unique about it is <clears throat> being in the operating room, it's a little bit more difficult to the sensitivities to that are you have a patient on the table that has a beating heart and working with surgeons to adopt the technology. Um, so one of the companies I worked for, we sold robots and I saw how a robot can better the quality of care so it can provide a better end benefit to a customer, that being the patient and the surgeon. Uh, the patient's recovered quicker, less blood loss, those sorts of things. But the difficulty in doing that was is you took a surgeon who was at the bedside table standing over a patient, you moved him across the room, you set him on a console, and in his place over the sterile field, you pushed a, a, a robot <laughs> um, that was controlled by him 10 to 15 feet away. So that is that is one of the most disruptive things you can do, um, but nothing of value is ever easy, right? And so um, getting past those kind of initial um, reservations uh, of surgeons and hospitals to, to adopt this technology and, and kind of selling and understanding the vision of how that technology betters a quality of care. And so um, really, I, I kind of, and, and seeing that uh, um, diffusion of that technology into a, a, a marketplace like that and, and helping people, um, I really became real passionate about learning more and kind of became a student of, um, I don't know if you've ever read Jeffrey's uh, Moore, Moore's book, Crossing the Chasm. And kind of understanding that dynamic and um, in terms of the, the adoption of technology and its life cycle. And so if you if you look at any kind of technology, you know, there's a bell curve of in, uh, innovators, early adopters, and then there's that chasm uh, to where it gets into the broader market. And that is made up of the early majority, late majority and the laggards. And so how do you take technology? How do you take innovation? How do you take things that definitively advance customer service, customer um, experience, operations, investments. How do you do that? Um, and how do you do it successfully? So um, I feel like that I've kind of learned the hard way and in a really sensitive industry in the past uh, where you had to get it right. And we've applied that same thing here with storage. And um, we feel like we're, we're really onto something in terms of the same types of things, right? The better product, the better end product, the better end 
interface with the customers to improve their experience, but then also for the investors and operators, um, improving their overall quality of investment, overall quality of operations uh, for the betterment of the facility and the, uh, the storage industry. So you've come from the highest stakes that there is, right? That totally leads into my next question, which is what are some common hurdles that you've encountered as you began the process of adopting this new technology into your storage facility, whether that be tenant-related or process-related? And how did you ever overcome those obstacles and hurdles? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I think the, one of the biggest obstacles is, the, you know, kind of the fear, uh, the leap of faith that you take with, with any technology um, and, and kind of being the guinea pig. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, when I got into the storage industry four or five years ago, um, well, about, yeah, about five years ago, time flies. But when I got into the industry, I found it to be very uh, fragmented um, in terms of suppliers. Uh, there wasn't one or two places to go to get um, everything that you need to build a storage facility, much less uh, a fully automated one. So that made the challenge even more difficult. But um, over the years, we've kind of um, I've kind of honed in terms of how we do our, our diligence and research and determine who's best in particular seg- segments and who does their particular segments, their technologies the best, and how we kind of bring all those pieces together um, into our facilities. And so, um, you know, one of, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest uh, leaps was just having an unmanned facility. And um, I had everybody telling me, oh, you need a manager, you need a, a living manager. Um, it was just, it was, it was really kind of an overwhelming um, determination or a, a determination of opinion that, you know, I needed to go that route. So, and it's counterintuitive, trust me. It, it is it is very counterintuitive. Even somebody coming from my background and seeing technology work and shift paradigms and in action, um, I had reservations. But um, I, our first facility, it's interesting, I built uh, in Leeds, Alabama, and it's fully automated and it's done really well. But uh, I built an office as a backup because we put in a kiosk and I was like, if this thing fails, I'll hire a manager. So I kind of built in a fail safe for myself. This uh, last facility we've just built, kind of the newer prototype, um, we didn't do that because I have full faith and confidence in our system. So um, SecureGuard has really helped kind of close an automation loop for us. Um, and, you know, it's relatively new, but uh, Janus kind of being the provider of that and having the, the full breadth and weight of Janus behind that product and Noki, uh, that has really helped in terms of, uh, the access to our facility and the security of our facility. So we don't have anybody there. So um, it's got to be a secure facility. And SecureGuard has really, really helped me from a mental state overcome that. And it also helps our, our tenants as well. But, um, you know, we're still learning. I think the industry is still evolving. Um, I think there is um, great things to come and how technology benefits customers and operators. Um, and so, you know, we're going out to, uh, to to the ISS show to learn more. We're continuing and, and want to be on the tip of the spear of the technology um, in terms of our group. I think, and, and answer your question on the challenges to the tenant, um, you know, I think customer service is, is one of the, the obvious um, 
questions or challenges there. If you don't have anybody on site and it's fully automated, how do you attain the customer service needed to be able to run that facility? And, and I've kind of had the philosophy and our goal as a group uh, as we as we move forward is the customer service needs to be better. Um, and, and so we our number one goal as a group is to not only be on the tip of the spear of innovation, uh, of technology and, and automation, but we're not going to sacrifice customer service. We're going to improve it um, because if you don't get that right, it doesn't matter how fully automated your facility is and how great the technology is. There's going to be something that comes up where somebody needs to get in touch with somebody and they better be able to do that pretty quickly. And so we feel like customer service is where you really have to overachieve. And so that's kind of the big, the technology has gotten to a place where it works really well for the tenants. Um, but the customer service, the, the infrastructure, getting the infrastructure in place to achieve that has been um, not only a challenge for us, uh, but also making sure that the, the tenants are taken care of. And I think one of the companies we've looked at is um, is just because we use them every day now. I think probably best everybody does is Amazon. Um, nobody has ever really walked into a, an Amazon store uh, in terms of, of re- everything's online. And so um, it's all done virtually. They have some some newer brick and mortar stores popping up. But, but interestingly enough, those are fully automated. They're cashierless um, grocery stores. And so, um, but everything is, is, is done virtually. So one of the things with Amazon is their customer service is one of, if not the best customer service experience out there. Uh, when something comes up, even though there's no store to go into, even there, even though there is no person to talk to in person, you call them up and they take care of you. Um, and so we had an issue a couple of weeks ago uh, with Amazon and we called them up and they just bent over backwards and we got somebody right on the phone. We didn't have to go through any kind of automated press one, press two, press four. I mean, it was very quick. We got in touch with them and they really took care of us. So so that is our goal. And, you know, I, the the automation part of this provides us as owners and investors efficiencies and optimizations um, that we want to in turn share with our customers um, through superior customer service and convenience and value the same way Amazon does it. So um, I, I think it's I think it's important for us to kind of look out on the landscape of what's going on out there and model ourselves after uh, some of these bigger companies that are that are doing things differently, disrupting markets, innovating, automating and um, and following their path. So specifically on the automation uh, kind of line of thinking, why do you think automation is so important in self-storage and what do owners need to do in order to achieve full automation? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a couple things. I think it's, uh, I mean, if I, if I had to come up with one word to describe it, I think it's a game changer. Um, and I think it's a game changer because uh, if you build these facilities the right way, with um, with the fragmented nature of, of the self-storage market in terms of vendors and suppliers. But if you can get that piece right and you can build these things the right way, you can provide a superior customer-tenant interface um, uh, experience. I mean, it, it can be as first class as, as any facility, if not more, than if somebody is on site there and the facility is not fully automated. 
Um, so you get customer service right. We have we have a, um, a manager right now for our two facilities, and we're building out a, an operation center for uh, our growth. Uh, but uh, we can do everything virtually, uh, remotely, and control our facility, know what's going on, greet customers, interact with them, um, help them through a rental process when they're on site. We can do all of that just as good, if not better, virtually um, versus having somebody on site there. Um, and we think we kind of fill a talent gap with that, too, because we can have one person virtually running four, five, six sites, and that person um, be really well-trained, get more reps in interacting and, and, and working with customers and um, provide a better customer service interaction experience um, with our potential customers and our tenants. Um, I think from an increased security, you know, I mentioned SecureGuard a, a few minutes ago. I think that's the biggest, biggest um um, importance of automation in terms of not having someone there because once our tenants have seen over the past couple months and the ones I've interacted with, once they've seen how secure guard works, the safety of it, um, the security of it, not having someone on site is not a big deal and they don't really care about it because most people intuitively know that if something's going to happen, it's most likely going to happen in the hours after the manager has left and um, people kind of intuitively know how easy it is to cut off a lock off the outside of a unit. I have a guy when we have people, when we have liens and auctions and stuff, I have a guy who has a battery powered grinder that can get a lock off a unit within 10 seconds. And so the secure guard has really changed the game for us on that in terms of security because <laughs> it's inside the unit. Um, it's not only inside the unit, but it has a motion thermal sensor and we get alerts and tenants get alerts if something happens within their unit and they're not on site. The system knows it. So it's kind of like a personal ADT system. And so we've advanced the calls of security um, and while removing someone from being on site during business hours. So um, the convenience and the access is kind of the other big point for us. Um, we can do 24-hour access. We can do uh, things that other places may not because we have a secure, uh, more secure facility, because we have higher quality cameras, because we have uh, the systems in place to allow that. So it's kind of this virtuous cycle. Um, and then, um, you know, the account management, all those things can be done uh, from our app um, with uh, SecureGuard. They can be done online. So everything has kind of really come full circle in, in terms of the customer tenant side to be able to provide this higher quality experience and those things I just mentioned without having a manager on site. And so um, on the owner investor side, um, I think that's that uh, that's where the, the, the numbers come into play. And so those numbers are, are pretty compelling um, in terms of what automation um, is doing and why it's so important to an owner investor. So let's pivot a little bit and talk numbers, or at least some abstract examples of numbers. So how does the strategy of tech-integrated self-storage affect your bottom line? Yeah, it, you know, I, I was, I kind of uh, was alluded to it there. I mean, and, and this is the, this is the fun part for us, Rachel, and, and, and this is where the, the game is going to change on the owner, investor, operator side. Um, and it's really it's really derived from a, a confluence of events in the marketplace. I mean, technology 
um, it, it's pretty cool. And timing is everything in business, as you know. But um, the technology has finally arrived, we feel, um, in the past 8, 10, 12 months um, to where you can fully automate a facility um, and you can achieve what I've what I've been discussing in, in um, the past few minutes. But um, so, so the technology getting to a point where you can achieve everything that you want to achieve without having someone there, knowing your, your end product is first class, your customers are getting that superior customer service. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in, in providing that, um, we feel there's a better interface and a better storage experience, and we invest in that technology on the CapEx side. So um, that allows us as operators and investors to enjoy the fruits of what we've sown through investing in the technology on the automation side, on the CapEx side, and we, and we see those dividends being paid literally in the operational side um, uh, of the investment, and that's where it really counts. And the reason it really, really counts um, is because of where cap rates are. So you've got technology getting to a place to where you, know, you can do this. You can enable automation, and then you've got cap rates where they are. And so cap rates are at all-time lows or, you know, kind of on the floor of where the lows have been over the past couple of years. We believe as a group that, that interest rates, the 10-year treasury cap rates in general, are going to stay kind of in these, in these areas. And we feel like there's a, a big window to capitalize on in terms of taking advantage of this. But, um, but the cap rates – you know, applying those to an NOI um, is why we're in the business, cash flow and return of, of, of equity on the investment, the sales profit. And so, you know, for granted, and I'll say this, granted, there's a lot of determining factors that go into a particular property's cap rate that's applied for their valuation from an uh, appraisal or a, a brokerage standpoint. But let's just use 6% for the sake of this discussion. Every $60,000 you can increase your NOI. So NOI, of course, is revenues minus your OPEX. So every 60000 you can increase your NOI at a 6% cap rate. That's a million dollars difference in sales profit and valuation of that facility. Every $120,000 is a $2 million add to the sales profit or valuation difference. So it's spring-loaded, right? So the cap rates with where they are, spring loads the investment if you get the NOI in a better place. Um, and so, you know, with an automated uh, facility, uh, uh, the, you know, the technology in an individual facility, we, we have seen, and we're doing this, we re we've reduced OPEX by, and I say this generally, I, I won't give out our numbers, but you can expect a sixty to $120,000 a year um, at least reduction in your OPEX. And so that math is astounding. Um, and you can, you can achieve that through the technology. Um, and so you, you, you realize these savings, your cash flow improves, your valuation, your equity improves, um, your sales profit, if you, if you um, trigger a sale, improves. And so it, it, if you have multiple facilities, you overlay that same math um, on your multiple facilities and, and it just compounds. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's, it's not only a sales profit or the valuation difference, but it's that increase in your monthly, quarterly, yearly cash flow because your, op, your operational efficiencies are so much better um, if you build these facilities right. 
And then, um, you know, like I said, on the back end, the valuation of applying these cap rates to these uh, increased NOI through reduction in OPEX is just, the, the, like I said, I can't say it enough. The math is astounding. So, you know, the uh, one other kind of back of your mind benefits, you don't really realize storage has been doing really well the past few years. But this, you know, this automation, this this strategy of tech integrated self-storage to automate is um, allows for a greater rental rate elasticity, if you will, um, to absorb downturn. So when we have a downturn, when we have a recession, we haven't had one in a while, but there will be another downturn and there will be downturns in the future. That reduction in OPEX allows a facility and investor to absorb more of those um those exogenous shocks or or um, or elements uh, better because you just have more flexibility in your operations. So um, that's kind of kind of where we where we feel the the real strategy of doing this pays off, not only for the customers but for the investor operator. And that is a fascinating deep dive into those numbers. So thank you so much for that. And let's let's turn to um, kind of a real life example of that. So, your on guard location in Helena, Alabama, has had a quick lease up rate thus far. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, to get to give some context, our lease facility um, we've had an operation for a while now. I would say on a scale of one to ten, it's probably a seven to a seven and a half in terms of automation. We took what we learned from that facility and kind of. Um, uh, enhanced our prototype, if you will, for our, our Helena facility. I would say Helena's uh, as close to you you can get as a ten on an automation scale, um, and and it has secure guard. It's outfitted with some other things. We're gonna we're actually planning to retrofit leads with some of the technology we've put in Helena. I wish I'd known or this stuff would have been where it was when I built Helena. Like I said, it's it's gotten to a place now and we've done this in Helena, kind of uh, showing you an example of how this stuff has really come full circle in, 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 the, in the past short period of time. But Helena is, again, a, a more advanced prototype in terms of automation. It has secure guard. It has some other things that we put in it to really kind of complete the, the gap of automation. Um, and um, within our development arm, uh, of our partnership, we have a fully automated kind of management solution that we um, that we're doing. But we also have a development arm because we're we're such believers um, in in these type of facilities. And so we're building six more of the uh, of, of these facilities, Helena type facilities, this year. Uh, we're going to do fifteen to twenty in the next five years, roughly. And um, Helena has given us the confidence to do that and to kind of reproduce, kind of turnkey these new facilities based on on what how we built Helena and how it's performed. Um, we've had terrible weather in Alabama the past three months. We've had more rain in the past three months than any other kind of winter in history. Um, it's been really wet, um, and we don't even have a true road in in front of our facility because of. Um, some issues with the with the city and one of the developers next to us and moving some utilities and all that. But having said that, we have enough of an access road to make it work. It's just not optimal. But having said all that, just to give you some context, um, we've been open for um, about two months now. We are over 20% in occupancy. Um, we have had a, a, a great 
feedback from our facility in terms of everything that we've done. I, like I said, the, the, the fear I had in terms of the secure guard and the, our app and the downloading of the app and how people access the facility and access their units has been a little bit, um, uncomfortable for me before we opened, but, um, the response has been overwhelming and I was, I've been down there some just to kind of see how tenants are interfacing with their unit, kind of a face-to-face, uh, observation. And when they hear that click on that unit, um, it just kind of intuitively, uh, screams security and, and technology and a cool factor. It really does have a wow factor with our, with our tenants. So the, the response to that facility, the word of mouth of that facility, um, has been, better than I thought. And so, um, we are, we are really excited about, about what we're doing with, with in Helena and taking that automation model and scaling and, and, and massing, uh, across the, the region. How do you feel technology as it applies to automation is going to affect the self-storage industry as a whole? Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we don't think we're better than anybody else. We don't think we know it all. Um, so I, I, I want to make sure I don't sound too um, uh, grandiose here in terms of, of what we're doing. We, we just think we have a, a niche that we've um, come upon and we think that uh, that niche is going to provide benefits not only to the industry, but to um, developers, investors, um, operators, and, um, and kind of putting all this together, if you will, and then just taking that uh, out to the marketplace, not only in our development arm, but our, our third-party management solution, uh, a fully automated third-party management solution. But, um, you know, we, we just feel the the real positive impact that these automated facilities are going to have is going to be on the health of the industry overall. And I don't know how long that takes. I, 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 I have an idea in my mind, but I think in 10 years you're going to have – a lot, of, a lot, if not most, facilities are going to be built fully automated, and but the the, the benefits just are, are too. You just can't ignore them, and so that's going to. Um, there's going to be a mitigation because you can build an automated facility and start smaller. There's going to be a mitigation of overbuilding, and what I mean by that is traditionally new facilities. Uh, when they're constructed, they're constructed at the mercy of a very burdensome operational budget. And those investors and developers have to work backward from a traditional facility management operation and that high cost burden associated with that. And they have to financially over-engineer, over-build a project to achieve a desired return. And so, in other words, the developer um, has to take on more risk and more calls from the outset because the operational model is dictating that to them. And so, um, for example, we've looked at um, a, a, a project recently we're working with a gentleman on, and we compared his 60,000-square-foot facility uh, run by a traditional um, kind of operational model with a manager on site, et cetera, versus our 38,000-square-foot uh, facility uh, fully automated, and <laughs> this is this is where that math is astounding. The our, our thirty eight thousand square foot facility cash flows more. Our, our thirty eight thousand fully automated facility cash flows more than the sixty thousand square foot man facility, traditional facility. Wow! It has more. It has more sales profit, um, 
and uh, if you if you applied the NOI on the two, um, if you uh, put a six cap on that, so it's thirty. So the so comparing the two is thirty seven percent smaller in size, has significantly less con, uh, of a construction budget, and you have a significantly greater valuation because the NOI is better. And um, like I said, that cash flow of the smaller facility. So the point in saying that is if you apply that same methodology, our fully automated model to a 60,000 to a 90,000, those numbers continue to get compound and get better. Those same parameters continue to increase and, and the gap widens. Um, but for, but for new development in terms of the, the health to the industry, we're, so instead of having to start with 60 or 75 to have to raise money or to have the numbers run, everybody runs their numbers, their, their performas and their cash flow analysis before they actually build the banks require it, the investors require it. So we can bring this model that we are, are doing to a, to an investor, to a developer, and we can allow them to phase into a market. So they can achieve better returns at a lower uh, uh, upfront cost uh, through our model, and they can start smaller and and phase into a a facility that's probably overall going to be smaller because they're going to achieve the desired returns and yields based on the the automated model. So um, that just means less risk from the beginning, um, and you know owners can phase into projects. So instead of having to build seventy thousand square feet to start out to get your numbers to work, you can start smaller, and you can have the market. Confirm what your diligence sees. Confirm what your diligence is telling you instead of you having to really guess. So it mitigates risk. You can start smaller. You can phase into that. And your overall project can be less in size um, and, and, and mitigate risk overall as well. And so that's, that's, what, that's what we did in Helena. I started with a, a phase one of 30,000 square feet. We're starting a phase two of 55,000 square feet later this summer. But instead of having to start and build the whole 85, this model allowed me to start smaller and phase into the second phase and, and the numbers work. And it's just, it's so much better. Um, and so, so as an investor, as a developer, um, I have more autonomy over my risk profile versus having, you know, an overburdensome operational budget dictating to me the greater risk that I need to take. Um, and so, you know, what investor um, doesn't want that, right? Absolutely. And along those same lines, my last question for you is, what is your advice for our listeners who are considering bringing technology to their facilities? Maybe they're on the fence they're a little bit hesitant or afraid to jump in, what would be your advice to them? Yeah, you know, I would, <laughs> I would say um, reach out, reach out to someone who's done it. Uh, give us a call. Um, we'll be happy to talk through some of those reservations you may have. I mean, I think the best thing to do is just talk to someone who's doing it, um, you know, talk to a guinea pig, so to speak. Um, and, and I think Steve Jobs said, people, people don't know what you want until you show it to them. Um, I think another important thing to do is to see some of these newer facilities with this newer technology that's just come along in the past eight, 12 months, um, how that is being done. And I think I know we've had a couple people come in and seen our Helena facility and the light bulb really just kind of goes off. So I think it's a combination of talking to people who are doing it, seeing the end product, seeing the facility. And, you know, that allows you to kind of make an informed decision on um 
on, on what you're on, on determining, you know, what path you're going to go down with, with your existing facility or the ones you may build in the future. And, uh, you know, the other thing I would say kind of from a philosophical standpoint is just kind of embrace that discomfort. And I'm just saying this from my own experience, um, you know, if you're uncomfortable, it's usually for a good reason. And I used to have a, a coach, um, back in my sport days that, uh, when he was running us to death and he would always say, you're either using every day to get better or to get worse. There's no staying the same. And so I, I think if you, if you're thinking about what you can do to improve your customer's experience in your facilities, you're on the right path. And I can say that because if you look at what the biggest companies in the world are doing, like the Apples, the Amazons, the Googles, the Netflix, you know, these companies, they didn't really invent the industries they're in and they're dominating, but they changed the way the customers interacted with that end product. Um, Apples didn't invent cell phones. They uh, innovated them through technology. Amazon didn't invent retail, but they brought convenience and value to their customers um, that way. So self-storage really is is a unique place because it has all of the um, the traits and the technology that these guys want. Like, you know, like I said, Amazon is, is building out some brick and mortar stores and they're automating those things. I saw on a conference call recently, uh, I heard about com- Wall Street conference calls recently, a study was done. 74% of those companies on Wall Street are either talking about in the near future implementing automation or are currently um, in implementing automation. So, Self-storage is there. It has the ability to do this now. It's a very complex yet simple business. And the technology, like I said, the confluence of that technology coming and and where these valuations are make it worth doing. Um, And I can tell you from a firsthand experience, the customer end interface, the end experience is, is just as good, if not better. Than, than kind of the traditional way of doing it. So um, do your research, do your diligence. You have to make your own decision, but uh, I can tell you firsthand, it it's the future. That is amazing advice to end this on. Um, this has been such a pleasure, Josh. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us um, and share your insights to our listeners. And if anyone would like to get in touch with you, what's a good way for them to contact you with any questions? Sure. Um, I can just call my cell phone. I, 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 I'll put my money where my mouth is. Just call us. Um, 334-233-4856 is my cell. And yeah, just just call us. Um, I'll, be, I'll be happy to talk to you face to face. I know what it feels like kind of staring out over that frontier of trying to figure out what to do and, and, and potentially adopting technology. So I'll be happy to, to talk to you um, in person. Awesome. And listeners, if you have any questions for me, you can reach out to me by emailing marketing at janisintl.com. Well, thank you, Josh. And we look forward to everything that you guys have coming down the pipeline with OnGuard. And I look forward to seeing you in Vegas at ISS. Yes, yes. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having me.